Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Emma and Tom's PGC podcast. As ever, thank you very much for sticking with us for this long, for whatever your reasons may be. And Emma, it's another exciting one this week. Oh, it's very exciting. We are joined by another guest today, Tom. We found another one. I'd like to say in our studio, but Uh, clearly, (laughs) once again, we're sat in my office. We are the glamorous environment of my office. Now, we are very, very excited today because we have with us Dr. Kate North, who is Senior Lecturer in Creative Writing at Cardiff Met, and she is Chair of the Board of Directors for Literature Wales. She is a writer. She is a writer of poetry and fiction. And she officially launched uh, another publication at the start of October, The Way Out, a collection of poems that we might just give you a little flavour of at the end of the episode. Kate, how are you doing? All right. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad to be here. Welcome. Thank you. So we we ta- we gave you a little bit of homework, didn't we, before yes. this session? <laughs> we are just teachers, really, at heart, aren't we? We can't help ourselves. So we, as you know, we've got a bit of a structure in our podcast. We Mm -hmm. like to do a bit of a deep discussion. And this deep discussion actually was prompted by, as it usually is, a corridor conversation that we had with you about creative writing as an art form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that kind of started to set the cogs turning for me and Tom. And we we started to think about that in an educational sense. We also thought that it would be really great to get you in because of your role within Literature Wales mm-hmm. and the really big literacy agenda in education. Yep. So we thought we had loads to talk about there. You've got some shout outs for us. You, I have. You've even got something for us to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did my homework. <laughs> exactly. You're a good, good student, aren't you? <laughs> you can come again. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess we should probably start off by asking you maybe to just because obviously I've given you an introduction there but maybe before we go into the deep discussion do you want to just tell us a little bit about your role within the university and within Literature Wales? Sure yeah so I run the MA English Literature and Creative Writing programs at Cardiff Met and I really enjoy doing that I also teach a little bit on the undergraduate program on our joint honours programmes and that's great too the thing with the MA programmes is that they're quite accessible. We teach them over evenings and weekends, and it means we get a really diverse range of people doing the programme, including some teachers. Every year we get teachers from our partner schools, um, you know, the English teacher that wants to write that novel ah. after teaching for so long, that sort of thing. And that's I, I really enjoy having those people in the mix. Yeah. So that's my my day job, as it were. But then the other part of my day job is my research, my my practice as a writer, which feeds into my teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I write poetry and I write fiction and my latest collections just out with Parthian Books. And th- yeah, I might talk a bit about that later if Absolutely. there's time. Absolutely, we look forward to that. Yeah, so that's that's my day day activities and something else that you have done um because i know something that particularly i i found particularly inspiring is that you've also used creative writing as a research method Mm, as well yeah in a interdisciplinary sort of capacity so the, the great thing about creative writing is that and we'll probably talk about this in quite a bit of detail 
is that by its nature, it's quite interdisciplinary mm-hmm. and it cuts across so many aspects of life. And it's you can use the methods of storytelling and those exploratory methods of, of writing in other settings to find stuff out. And I really like doing that. That's really interesting. And, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of digging down a bit deeper into that and maybe how it could be used, not necessarily just in the classroom, but maybe to fit in with the health and well-being agenda that's mm-hmm. really kind of prominent in schools at the moment as well. Yeah. And I think we all three of us actually round the table here are people who've managed to keep practicing our thing that we do, our art while becoming teachers. And I love that sound of that thing that you've got teachers coming in from schools wanting to be creative writers because I always had a real bee in my bonnet when I trained as a teacher that I wasn't going to stop being a musician and it was a bit of a fight, but I found it really worth it. So it's lovely to hear there's English teachers out there doing that. Yeah, and teaching can actually inspire creativity. You know, it can it can feed it, can't it? And it, you, you can get ideas from teaching through working with students. And uh, yeah, so it can be a really sort of virtuous circle, can't it? Absolutely. I get some good stories as well. Well, that's probably not such a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll save those for the, uh, for the Christmas episode. <laughs> okay, so... Maybe let's start to talk about then what we we were first really interested in, which is this idea of creative writing as an art form. So Mm -hmm. maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that. Well, just as in any art form, whether it's sculpture or painting, writing is an art, it's a craft. It's something that you have to work hard to refine in terms of your own process and your own style and your own voice. And it is an art form in in its own right. And in addition to that, I think it's something that everyone's entitled to be able to engage with. Certainly at Literature Wales, that's something we definitely subscribe to, the idea that everyone has a right to access literature. Mm. Um, You know, like the child has a right to play. And I think also that everyone has a right to access literatures and engage with writing from their own culture and from wider cultures. And if you are able to do that, then you can do lots of things in life. You know, if you can tell your own story, then you it has confidence benefits, you're able to articulate what you want, what you need, and it can give confidence, that it can give, you can communicate better with people. There's there's loads of knock-on effects mm. to being able to engage with literature, whether it's to read it creatively or whether it's to write your own stories and express your own emotions and ideas. I think that's really interesting. And, and actually, we kind of, as teachers and as teacher trainees, we kind of work in narrative all the time. Like we think back to our day and we kind of retell the story of how it happened. We might think about, you know, future narratives and how we're going to create the story of the lesson. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it sort of um, inadvertently drips into what we're doing as well. And we might dedicate specific time to working on it. And then sometimes we're doing it without realising it maybe. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of writing being an interdisciplinary thing. Ah. So in looking back, on something you can often have a new understanding of it you can change your mind Um, you you can experience something and remember it one way and then in going to write about it or writing about it from a different perspective you can gain a whole other understanding about it so you can take other subjects other areas that need investigating and you can look at it 
through story mm. and you can find stuff out and and that's really great and if if people have those skills and if our young people are gifted the ability to hone their own storytelling skills and their own poetics then they can do with that what they want whether that's become uh, a big wig in the advertising world s- selling products or whether that's writing content for websites or whether that's standing at the front of a maths class explaining to someone the story of numbers it's really interesting links really well with two episodes ago doesn't it when we were talking about our cross-curricular interdisciplinary project between music and drama and we said that the best examples of learning there were where one subject discipline was used as a tool or a method to solve problems in the other one and that sounds exactly like what we're hearing about there with the creative writing yeah 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 and i I think what would be really useful actually is if we start to think and this is where it maybe gets quite tricky and and your kind of own personal philosophy might come into it but you talked about the skills of creative writing Mm -hmm. What do you think would be, you know, for those who don't consider themselves to be creative writers or indeed for teachers of, let's say, maths, science, who might not see themselves as having a really easy link to Mm -hmm. bringing creative writing to the classroom? What kind of skills are you talking about there? Okay, well, the skills that come through practice, Mm -hmm. as with any discipline, whether that's running a marathon um, or painting a picture, those things that you gain by doing something over and over, the more you do something, the more you come to understand it. And then think you get a muscle memory, don't you? So there are those skills, almost physical or neurological things that, that come out through the practice of the art form. But then there are other skills such as maybe empathy, which isn't always described as a skill, but I think you can become more empathetic through uh, practicing writing and things around literacy you know literacy can be improved uh, through engaging with literature obviously there's a connection with the words there yes um but you know maybe sort of like your social skills your people skills those sorts of things that there are all sorts of skills that can be enhanced yes and what, from what I'm hearing, it's kind of a, a little bit in the same way as we talk about teaching in that creative writing is a bit of a, a science and an art mm, at, yeah. the, at the same time. So the kind of, um, the science of it, so how you kind of construct a poem, how you construct um, a short story, are those the sort of things that are important within your role in Literature Wales? Are they things that we need to kind of teach specifically or well as an educator they're really important there are there are really there are essential things you need to learn about storytelling or uh, constructing poems you know you need to have a character that the reader can invest in whether they're likable or not someone needs to be after something you know there are things that go into story and with poetry really it's through the image and the rhythm uh, of the language that that you're, you're trying to convey an emotion or a feeling or an idea so there are they're really tangible things that you can just communicate and I guess in Literature Wales, we're the national company that's aiming to support writing and to enable people to access writing and writers and experience literature across Wales and beyond. Mm. Um, and we like to take writing to people who don't necessarily have access to it, access to, to writers. And 
There's a really good project at the minute that Literature Wales is involved in with the Reading Agency, and that's working with old people and people with dementia and using reading and stories. I I think that's a really interesting kind of case study there, and I think at the heart of that, I want to drill down into a little bit more deeply about the challenges and the barriers. You said about writing is a is a right, and access to literature is a right. But what kind of barriers and challenges have you experienced in your role, you know, working with students, you know, working with the wider public that we maybe need to, as teachers, think about how we can kind of break down so that there's better access? I I guess um, there's two distinct things that I can think about. One is representation. If you don't see stories growing up about people like you or that speak to your life experience, then you might not think stories are for you or something that you can engage in and I know that's a really hard thing to do with the curriculum there are budgets you can't just suddenly say everyone needs to buy this book because actually we've got a hundred copies of Lord of the Flies and that's what we're going to have to teach so there are issues pragmatic and practical issues around giving people access to narratives that reflect them in the curriculum. But I, I do think they can be worked through and around. But I think that, that that's, that's one sort of practical thing. Another thing that I see as a lecturer in, in creative writing is the... Uh, I teach in the wake of people being taught in high school and sixth form that a way to make a really great story is to use loads of adjectives and adverbs and floral description and that the way to understand a poem is like uh, algebra. And we most creative writers I know spend the first year of an undergraduate programme undoing all that stuff that's happened at high school, stuff that actually put people off storytelling I think and writing poetry and I can see how it's happened with compartmentalization of the curriculum and teaching to test that ends up happening and the fact that people need to be assessed and often creative tasks can be used as a way of assessing levels of literacy in in quite sort of technical tick boxy terms but it does have a knock-on effect Often, the best way to uh, explain that someone's heart is broken is not to say it's on the floor bleeding, it's to usually say something much, much simpler, like, yeah, my heart is heavy, or something like that, you know, Mm. so... uh, yeah less is often more in writing and it's almost taught in the opposite way i feel from the, the undergraduates i see coming through i think as you were saying that i don't know whether i'm going to put words in your mouth here but certainly it was interesting for me as a someone who taught music and emma taught drama you know we're, we're very used to hearing about how the creative subjects we think about like music drama art are squeezed out in the curriculum and and you know we look with a certain amount of envy I suppose at the core subjects like maths and English having maybe four or five hours a week in school and we might have an hour a week or an hour a fortnight but perhaps within those departments there's a similar lack of satisfaction there that perhaps the Mm. creative bit of the subject is itself getting squeezed in favour of you know a particular level of interest in literacy and you know PISA test driven things so perhaps all is not as rosy as I thought it was on that side of the fence yeah it's not and and you know I 
that's exactly how I would describe it, as you described it. And the presumption also that creative writing really is in this linguistics sort of area. I'd actually put it over with you guys in drama and music, except I don't want my hours reduced, so I will have to stay over here with A-level English. Um, <laughs> but really, that our heart is with you guys because it's a creative act and uh, it's a spontaneous thing that you need to also learn uh, rules to harness. But yeah, it's, it's the joy, I think, has been squeezed out in lots of ways. But in Wales, we're really, really uh, about to do something amazing, aren't we? We are. We're we going are. to put that joy back in. We, we absolutely are. And I, and I think it would be really good to explore just a little bit about, you know, because we, we could be quite cynical and go, right, this is, we're unpacking, we're having to deal with all of these issues that are a part of this accountability culture. But is there a way of working within that structure, striking that balance of achieving that those creative opportunities? I mean, I, Interestingly, the way you talked about the formula of, of poetry, I, I started reading some of your poems and my gut reaction, I think maybe because I was an English literature and language student at A-level, was to think, oh, I need to be analysing this. I need to think about the structure and what it's doing. And when actually what I really did when I first read the first poem that we're going to have a look at later was I felt, I, fe- I had feelings mm-hmm. from it. And as you said about images, like it conjured up images. And I wonder, is there food for thought there and how we strike that balance with our kids so that they don't just see this as a formulaic, I have to do this, then this, then this to pass the exam. Mm-hmm. They also get joy from, from creative writing. Yeah, I think so. And uh, that I think that's, that, that's the key, isn't it? And the best teachers, we all remember the best teachers that do that. They're the ones that do that, that don't make you feel like you're working for ex- an exam, but actually just give you the joy of the subject. And that's how I want people to come to my poems, to experience them and to feel them. And if you want to go back and analyse them later, great and look and pick how how, how they function t- in technical terms. That's great and that's fascinating and fantastic. But that shouldn't be the starting point. That should be a, a later thing. Totally. That's really interesting. So maybe there's food for thought in the classroom of kind of working backwards with a poem and, and starting with the the bigger picture. What mm-hmm. What is this poem saying to us? And there being no right or wrong. There's never a right or wrong. It's completely interpretive. It, I mean, that, that's with, you know, it's the same with a painting or anything, isn't it? I can't tell you how to feel about a piece of music. It, it can't be done. So it's, it's giving people that permission, actually, to be in charge of their own interpretation. Mm. And not mentioning the exam <laughs> that can just just be something that happens as far as I'm concerned and that's a very uh, that's about ethos isn't it and culture and I think it does matter what you put forward and give primacy and yeah it should be the art it should be the subject not the assessment mm, it's it's just really tricky isn't it because I would imagine a lot of the students who get onto our university programs have done that because they've passed the exams. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the that's the tension, isn't it? Yeah, it's really easy for me to sit here as a poet and just go, well, what I I, I appreciate that. And of yeah. course, like it, it's a system. And so there has to be something systemic about it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's a tough one. 
Yeah. And interestingly, we've talked about how skills need to be more transferable for the pupils as well. One of the problems we have in school is that they see a skill as existing in relation to a subject. And we're Mm. hoping that all this interdisciplinary working will help them see more clearly how to transfer those skills. And the thing that grabbed me there was where you were talking about less is more in writing. And when we teach music, we have our eight musical elements that we use, our bits of terminology. And one of them is silence. So actually, the lack of music is considered just as important as music and that's something we would talk about a lot and that would be a lovely thing to be able to transfer across into writing Mm -hmm. well there is you know I talk about the same thing in poetry the space on a page the space is is as important as the words that's exactly what you're playing with isn't it and there's the exact same thing in drama in silence and pause you know we many people in the world of drama know about pinter and a pinter pause and it's all about what's unsaid Mm -hmm. and what you can't articulate with words and apply that to the real world to to like a real world context a real world setting in its most obvious term it's really good to know when to shut up Mm. for example yes we tell our students that when they go on (laughs) placement for the first time (laughs) it can get you a long way can't it yes (laughs) can I just encourage our listeners who to put their researcher hats on now because teaching is becoming a master's profession there's a real research agenda for classroom teachers to be carrying out their own small-scale classroom research and I just wondered if you could talk just a little bit about how you use creative writing as a method in your interdisciplinary research and then we could maybe talk about how that might translate into maybe getting our pupils to write some creative writing that would be data you know you know useful classroom data about teaching and learning okay great i mean yeah it's a it's a there's loads of ways you can use creative writing to to garner data um and you, you can find lot, lots out from it i suppose i'll give you an example it's one i know you've heard me talk about before emma yes I was involved in a project which were with, with a bunch of scientists and education specialists. It was about autism and autism care pathways for, for young children in South Wales. And there are some sort of sticking points with services provided or not provided to, to young people. And this project was keen to identify some of the common sticking points and see if we could come up with ways to do something about it. And I did writing workshops with parents of young people with autism, educators of young people with autism and clinicians. Um, And I got them writing about the service really creatively and we looked at what they came up with you know writing about it as if it's a hero's journey for example so a real creative sort of narrative exercises and writing about things they disliked about the service as if they're like foods they didn't like for example what would it taste like and anyway we compared the 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 data from each of the workshops to see where the common areas were and what that did was so you had three groups of people who have three different agendas three different priorities and three lexicons three languages you've got your clinical language your language of education and your parental language and they, they were often using different words for exactly the same thing so making them all respond to a creative writing prompt it took that language box away and what I think it did was it exposed common areas that were problems in a more obvious way and we were able to go okay they're all having an issue with that thing well if we could fix fix that thing that might help everyone Mm. so it kind of generated a common language right 
which is just I, I find that really exciting. It reminds me, it goes all the way back to episode one of the podcast when we were enthusing about something we'd seen at the Beza conference where they'd been working with children who were in danger of falling out of the education system. And they'd also had to come up with some quite creative ways of gathering their data. And it makes me think that when we're telling the students to do their research projects and we're saying, don't forget the ethics, don't forget, you know, you've got to talk about Beera, it can get a bit box ticky sometimes, can't it? Oh, don't forget your reference to Beera. Don't forget you're saying they're anonymous. Don't forget to change the name of the school but if you just sort of think about it in that way you can miss some really good opportunities to really behave genuinely ethically and genuinely innovatively I suppose innovation and, and doing the right thing and by the ethics mm-hmm. uh, they're not necessarily things that people always put together in their minds but it can be absolutely brilliant yeah well it's a you know th- that exercise really is about giving everyone an equitable opportunity to express themselves and everyone can talk about food mm. <laughs> everyone knows a hero's journey whether that's star wars or raiders of the lost ark you know it's an analogy that everyone can understand mm. so who is your hero who's going to be your helper what's your quest these are things that because of course going into this i didn't have any guarantees uh, about levels of literacy for certain members of the groups and so yeah and like I say everyone can talk about food everyone can talk uh, about their senses and sensory experience so it's a real great leveler in that way it's quite an equitable approach and something else I thought was interesting when you gave us your presentation on this was that there was also a visual artist in the room oh yeah doing some of this creative right and doing some of the discursive Mm. um, aspects of the of the data gathering and they were drawing some of the sort of themes that were coming out of yeah. these conversations so the journey to getting the diagnosis and and you know the different perceptions of that they're storytelling that journey and then someone is creating that in visual forms that interdisciplinary is quite an interesting way of unlocking meaning in a non sort of quantitative methodology yeah yeah totally so, and we use or groups of people use a specialist language as a bit of a weapon sometimes don't they every group has their little little kind of special language and it's almost like a safety blanket and a way to keep the outsiders out and I think that's a really interesting way of you know without being confrontational about it and saying stop using those silly words it, it's a really nice and friendly way of just getting people out of that probably quite bad habit <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's a defence mechanism sometimes, isn't it? And when you're in an environment and everyone's speaking that language, you just sort of go along with it, don't you? And it's a really good way to break break that down. Also, uh, what I discovered from that project as well was that people were understanding, depending on who they were and what group they were from, words in different ways and had different priorities connected to words. So you often found that the parents really wanted the diagnosis. They really needed mm. the diagnosis because the diagnosis told them something, either the child had something or did not. And that also, if the child uh, was on the spectrum, then it could unlock funding and support. And do you know what? That's clear as a bell. That's absolutely mm. clear. Yeah. But the educators were like, well, you know, is this important or not? What support can I give the child? And what is the best way to support the child? And so people were using terms in ways that, yeah, had d- different priorities. And that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of goes full circle to what you're saying about representation and identity and how we use our sto- our own stories. Right. To, to tell our story and our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we think we're really communicating what we mean, but actually 
we're speaking a different language. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just thinking about how we go full circle now. Um, we've talked about some really interesting themes about creative writing as an art form, about access, about barriers, and about how we kind of break down those barriers. But have we got any kind of parting words to teachers now, particularly trainee teachers, mm-hmm. about how they might bring more creative writing opportunities into the classroom? Any kind of final advice? Well, I would say this sounds, uh, I don't know if this just sounds a bit sort of patronising or something, but try and enjoy what it is you're teaching. So in in terms of selecting texts and things, if you can select things that you enjoy and that you are passionate about, that's just going to get everyone else going. I know I'm the worst teacher when I'm teaching something that just has been thrown on me that I I don't really understand myself, quite frankly, or I don't like that's the worst thing. I can't hide my displeasure with some texts. So yeah, spend time doing that and thinking about the things that really get you going or even that really make you rant, actually. That can be just as enjoyable, but something that you're passionate about. And then don't be scared to put um, writing exercises, and I've got one coming up for you, in other contexts, in other subject areas, because they're really great ways of discussing situations and exploring them so yeah that's don't be afraid to use writing in in other contexts that's what i'd say fine advice thank you so that was a really interesting deep discussion kate i've gotten so much food for thought from that thank you and now we're on to our our well-being slot and you've got some ideas about i'm going to say how you maybe cope with writer's block or (laughs) if you may be finding it difficult to find inspiration um, and how well-being fits into that so what thoughts did you want to share with our listeners kate Okay, well, there's a couple of things, really. And this is something you really have to get your head around if you're going to write a book, you know, how how you keep at it, even when no one's prodding you to do so. There's a couple of things that I think are really important. First off is you trust yourself, trust your own process. Everyone has their own best way of of writing stuff and approaching that for some people it is you know working through the night in the wee small hours when there's silence and there's that weird sort of atmosphere that really does it for some people it doesn't for me I'm an early morning and writing for as long as I can person but I'm no good in the afternoons so think about your body clock think about what works for you the best and go with that there's 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 no right answer And then secondly, if it's really, really, really not coming, even though you keep going back to it and and trying, it's quite possible there's something else you need to be doing, like going for a walk, going for a jog, uh, hydrating yourself, uh, really sort of simple and boring things that we can often forget to do. But obviously, you know, your brain, there's all these chemical functions going on and if you don't have enough water in your system or mm. if you haven't stretched out and got your your heart pumping so there's enough oxygen in your in your blood then you're not going to be creative you're mm. not going to be firing on all cylinders you're just not I think that's I, I that resonates a lot with me and I often find that when I do do those other things the ideas are still percolating yeah and then when I come back to sitting in front of that page it comes a lot easier, yeah. a lot more easily. Yeah, because writing, I think, I, I, so much of writing is 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 happen, happens before the page, doesn't it? It's like you say, it's the percolation of ideas. And sometimes, if you've got a problem, um, you'll 
if you just sleep on it, you wake up and suddenly you know where to take that story, you know where to take that essay or, or whatever it is you're writing. Mm, sometimes the best ideas come to you in a dream. I was listening to a, a, a desert, a desert <laughs> island discs the other day and a composer who, who, who said that her new style came to her in a dream. It just wow. happened in a dream, which is maybe a little bit uh, airy-fairy and maybe we're reverting to stereotype, but she made a lot of money, so... Well, there we go. <laughs> it's worked for her. And I think the other thing in there was we've said this, haven't we, Emma, to our students about not comparing yourself to somebody else. Mm. Yes. Because other people have other ways of doing things and you have your way of doing things. And the worst thing is if you feel you have to conform to somebody else. And I remember once sitting in the staff room in my school and I was just sitting having a cup of tea uh, because I felt I needed a break for my brain. And somebody quite senior walked in and sort of said, oh, you're looking very comfortable there, Tom, you know, with, with a strong <laughs> condemnatory kind of undertone yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and I just said yeah well you know this is this is the way that I work I find that I need to rest my brain occasionally and and it makes me work better and and he was satisfied with that and wandered off but yeah you do have to sometimes not worry about how you're perceived by other people I think mm, yeah great thank you for that over to the shout out slot and this week Kate has as I said, done fantastic work on her homework <laughs> and has a shout out. And you're going to talk to us about one of your MA students. Former MA student, current PhD student. Yeah. Okay. And what, what do you want to shout out about, about this particular student? So she's called Barbara Stensland. And yeah, she's, like I said, she, she started on the MA with us and now she's doing a PhD with us. And Barbara came to writing, like a lot of creative writers, postgraduate creative writers, from another field, another area, another interest she started a blog about having multiple sclerosis and um, it's called stumblinginflats.com and uh, she wrote a book on the back of that blog and through writing about having MS and the experiences she encountered um, she decided that she needed to know more about writing because she was really enjoying it and then she started getting picked up for um, sort of journalism work and that sort of thing and now she's working on a novel uh, and I'm supervising her PhD so she's come on a massive journey that started really with a diagnosis of a horrible condition but she's sprung from that and she's doing really creative and cool things and if I can help her get some more blog readers she'll love me oh well <laughs> absolutely so just let's let's have that blog title once more it was stumblinginflats.com that's the one yeah and actually blogging is becoming a real popular thing in the world of education and, and teaching and learning um, we're going to do a book review down the line of a work by Tom Sherrington and that started out as a series of blogs oh, okay. and it, you know it's really accessible uh, and, and I think teachers getting a lot out of being able to kind of put those thoughts down on paper mm-hmm. through through narrative quite quite highly narrative form sometimes yeah and I think it's bridging that gap isn't it between the world of research and the world of teaching which was always a bit difficult when you felt you had to go to a library and find a journal or a large book or something and now Mm. a lot of really high quality stuff is out there in blogs and also podcasts not suggesting this is high quality but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's some other very good stuff out there somewhere and and I think it's it's always useful when it bridges that that them and us gap a little bit Mm. yeah it's easy to access and why not use it? Agreed. Excellent. And we're on to the something to try section. Now, this is what Emma calls a calorie free takeaway. This is where <laughs> we give people an idea that they can use in the classroom. And it would only be fitting, I think, for you, Kate, to suggest something that teachers could use 
in the classroom that is related to creative writing. Sure. Okay. So this is a this is an exercise about perspective. It's one of my favourite ones. I love doing this with my students. The idea came from a, a short story by a Scottish writer called Ali Smith. And basically, in this short story, she th- th- there's a character, uh, a middle aged woman, and one day she gets home from work, and her 16 year old self is sat on the sofa. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was like, cool. I'm having that. That's an exercise now that I use all the time. So I might get. Uh, my students to do that and depending on their age I'll take them back three years five years ten years and get them to have a conversation with themselves but you might actually want to have if you're a if if you're a a trainee teacher you might want to have a conversation with yourself at the age of the person or the 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 pupils that you're teaching so if you're teaching a bunch of 13 year olds what would happen if you walked home uh, from from work and went in through the front door and there was your 13 year old self what did you look like how bad was your acne? You know, <laughs> and and th- this exercise is fun and it's funny and it's actually you find yourself cringing as well because it is really cringeworthy. You're like, oh no, I had those flares, didn't I? Because it was the nineties and you oh, know, yeah, yeah, bad haircuts, all of that. So that's funny, but also it's an exercise in perspective and. Just by doing that, the former you and the current you, the gap between those, that gap is a story of how far you've come or the the story of difference, what you were and what what you've become. But in a a classroom context, maybe it's a good way of exploring uh, different perspectives on the same scenario. So, you know, with your 13-year-old self, discuss the uh, upcoming American election or um, uh, the, 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 I don't know, the latest album by whoever, you know, have that difference of opinion. I love that. And do you know what? That's given me ideas about the end of a PGC year, you know. Oh, yeah. At the end of the PGC course, have a conversation with you at the start of the year. Right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We always do something reflective, don't we? And and we've been playing a few of them out in these episodes, but a conversation with your pre-teaching self, I think would be a very interesting one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Totally stealing that, Kate. Mm-hmm. It's I, ours now. I did it with um, uh, on another project with a, a group of new mums. Um, I got them to write letters to themselves before they were mothers. What would they, you know, what what would they tell them? Um, wow. Yeah, and that was really revealing. Lots of information. I've got two small children. I know what I'd tell myself. Oh. <laughs> exactly. And I, got, I, I know I, I keep kind of sanitising this and bringing it back to this whole data thing, but we talk a lot in, in the world of educational research about, you know, quantitative and qualitative data and also about things that are immeasurable in teaching. So things like, you know, resilience, levels of empathy, you know, things like that. But I wonder if doing tasks like that could unlock something about your kids and their progress that isn't measurable on an exam paper. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of makes me quite excited actually about about using methods like that. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And I think that's almost us done for this episode. But we really 
didn't want to let you go without having at least one poem from your collection. And yeah. you've been kind enough to uh, agree to read one of them out. And I, I, when I opened this book, I read the very first poem. I have to say, I really enjoyed reading these. Um, not Me least too. because I know a lot of the places that you mention in there. I think we must live really near each other. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't bumped into you. Loads of places in Cardiff that I know and love very well. But the very first poem I thought was just perfect for anybody working in education, particularly people training as teachers and making some tough decisions about how they go about things and whether they take the easy road or the hard road. So I wondered if we could end our episode with this poem. Sure. So it's called Entrances. Whether you leap into the world a frog prince, fall out of your mother a birthed foal, Wheel through the door, a spooling thread, reach the window as a firefighter. Your way in won't show you how to cross the road, gliding like the jay or using the pelican. How to eat the apple, seeds and core, or quartered with a knife. How to kiss, open-mouthed or nipping like a mouse. You can see the world in monochrome or technicolour. Choose to de-seed the chilli or not. Thank you, Kate. Fabulous. Pleasure. And we'll leave that with you. Kate, would you be so kind as to read our end credits? Love to. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was me, Kate North. My new collection of poems is called The Way Out, published by Parthian Books. Barbara Stensland's blog is stumblinginflats.com. If you're procrastinating by listening to this podcast, then go right ahead and don't let yourself be judged. And if you've just spotted your 16-year-old self sitting on the sofa, don't panic, it's just a writing prompt. We're all off to write the novel we've always had inside us. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. Enjoy teaching.